Well, if Marty and I look a little tired, that's because we are. We, since last Sunday, uh, Marty and I went on our first real vacation. All just the two of us without kids. Since our honeymoon 16.5 years ago. And we went to Las Vegas because it's cheap. I gambled it all, lost it all, all $4 I brought to pay the penny slots. I won it all back and then lost it all again. But we had fun. So much to see, so much to do. We walked our feet off. And I tell you what all we do, what all we did, but, well, you know the saying, right? What's the Vegas rule? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. All right, so we'll just leave that there. But at church camp, our kids, well, they learn the Vegas rule in their own church context. They're small groups. Uh, Marty often will teach it in youth group as well. And in that context, well, it means something a little different. It means that if something is personal, shared in their small group, somebody tells something maybe they're struggling with, maybe a hard situation back home, that you don't need to just go tell everybody that's not in the group. You don't spread it. You don't go home and talk about it. What happens in the small group stays in the small group. That's the Vegas rule at church camp. But, well, perhaps without noticing it, I think churches have sort of de facto adopted this as our rule of operating. The Vegas rule in church that what happens in here stays in here, whether it should or not. Now, there are some things, confidential things. Yeah, you don't go blabbing about town. But also, we struggle with talking about the good things, too. The things that God is doing in our life. We don't tell people what's happening in our church. We struggle with sharing good news at all, let alone our own good news. Religion is personal, we say. It's not polite to bring up in polite company. And it should be kept hush-hush. So we may not teach the rule explicitly, but, well, we've learned it over the years. We don't talk about it. We don't share it. And so what happens in here stays in here. Now, as I mentioned earlier, today is what Christians call the Feast of the Epiphany. It's actually January 6th every year. Um, We don't often talk about it, nor do we really understand what it is. But it's actually one of the oldest Christian holidays uh, in our tradition. It was first celebrated in the 4th century and called what it's called today, the Feast of the Epiphany on January 6th. And for early Christians, this day, January 6th, was much more uh, popular, more meaningful than December 25th, Christmas. In fact, December 25th was merely the kickoff, the leadoff to Epiphany. Christmas is the first day of Christmas. And you may not remember this, there are 12 days of Christmas. Christmas ended yesterday, right? So you gave your children gifts every day of Christmas, right? I assume all of you got a 12 drummers drumming last night. And that's the song. It's not the 12 days leading up to it, it's the 12 days after. And Christians would spend their time in reflection, in gift sharing, to prepare for Epiphany, this grand celebration, which was sort of... Uh, started by the wise men that Marty talked about earlier. It wasn't until the 19th century when Christmas actually surpassed Epiphany in its celebration, and today we kind of barely know what it is. But in other cultures, it's still celebrated. In Great Britain, it's known as the Twelfth Night, 
And on that night, people still go out wassailing. You know that old carol. Here we go, a wassailing. And they go around a neighbor's house. They'll sing carols and they'll uh, wish people good health and good cheer in the new year. William Shakespeare wrote that famous play, The Twelfth Night, a celebration of this holiday. And legend has that it was first performed on the twelfth night. In Latinx cultures, the day is celebrated as the Dia de los Reos, the day of the three kings. And in Mexico, crowds will gather together in city squares and they'll have these large uh, rosca de reyes, king's bread. In other countries, they'll hide a Jesus figurine inside that bread, a little baby. And even in New Orleans, when we lived there, we learned about the king's cake. Epiphany, this day, kicks off carnival season that will end on Fat Tuesday in New Orleans. And all throughout the season, you eat these big kind of oversized cinnamon rolls. At one party we went to for somebody's retirement, they had one. And it was like, you remember those huge subway, uh, six-foot subs? So it was like, like, uh, like 18 feet of king cake that you just kind of walked in the middle of. It was outstanding. But somewhere inside of those cake is always the baby Jesus, this discovery of Jesus. And if you find the baby, you got to buy the king cake next year. That's the tradition. <laughs> Cultures throughout the world, they exchange gifts on this day to honor those three wise men who celebrated the appearance of this baby Jesus. But here, well, here we don't know about Epiphany. We don't talk about Epiphany. What happens on the 12th night stays on the 12th night. That word epiphany, we may use that word in our language. It means appearance, manifestation, making something that's unseen seen, something unknown known. The epiphany of our Lord means that our Lord appeared to us, that God made known who God is in our presence. God's presence made manifest among us the secret revealed, the light of God shone forth like that star in the sky that guided the wise men that broke through the dark night and led them to the Christ child. Light is a common symbol for epiphany. Our song that we began with this morning talked about the light shining. I guess that's why we associate a light bulb to having a good idea or an epiphany. Light is, is reveals something that's been hidden. What obscured can now be seen, the hidden made clear. Our text this morning shares this theme. We began by reading Isaiah 60, which is a traditional text for this uh, a day. Arise and shine, the prophet says. Why? For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. But there's something else that goes on in these texts. In Ephesians, Paul talks about this epiphany that happens to him. And we know his story, how he was traveling on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden a light appears. He's blinded by this light. And he has this moment of reflection and learns the mysteries of Christ in a personal way. He had been persecuting Christians and he converts and changes his life to become the apostle who starts the church. We would not exist as Christians without the work he did. And it all began with that epiphany that he had. And he talks about it in Ephesians, this mystery that was made known to him by revelation. But there's something else beyond just the light shining, awaking us up. The, a prophet, the prophet says, arise and shine, for the light has come upon you. But then he says, nations will come to you. They will gather kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. 
Now, you can see after reading that first text this morning why Christians have often associated that prophetic text with the wise men. It mentions frankincense and gold and, and camels, right? This is where some of our images come from. Kings flocking to the likeness of Christ. But the text is also talking about our light, not just God's light. The light comes upon you, shines to you, but then reflects from you and draws people to you. Paul writes to the Ephesians, Christians that live in the city of Ephesus, about this mystery that was revealed to him that God, through Christ, is saving the world. But not just Jews, as many thought, but also Gentiles, people who lived in Ephesus, who thought they had no hope of salvation. Christ has come to you. And this is the mystery, Paul says. But it's not a mystery that you keep quiet. It's a secret that you need to tell. The grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ. To make everyone see the pl- that is the plan, the mystery, hidden for ages that I'm now telling you, Paul says, that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety is made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's a mystery, Paul says. It's given to the church, and we need to tell everyone about it. It may be a secret, But here's the secret. You can tell it. So I want to propose a new rule for the church today. We can use the Vegas rule when we need to for those things that shouldn't be shared, those confidential things. But I think we should try on a new rule. We'll call it the Ephesus rule because this is the book of Ephesians. And here it is. What happens in here should not and cannot stay in here. Because we've been given the mystery. In other places in the scripture, it's called the good news. In your life, it may be called hope or peace. Maybe it's a new start, forgiveness, believing again, answered prayer. Maybe it's called community or love or light, whatever you call it. It's an epiphany in your life. God shining in the midst of the darkness. God revealing something to you, leading you, directing you. Christ appearing in your life. Shining the light. And you've been changed. Transformed. Just look back at your life and think. You have been changed. The mystery has been revealed to you. Perhaps not as dramatic as the Apostle Paul on the road, but no less meaningful. But you can't keep the light to yourself. The light is meant to shine up on a lampstand, the Gospels say. You've got to let it shine, that old song says. You've got to tell others. You've got to take what happens in here And in here and take it out there. So I have a challenge for us. It's our New Year's challenge, our epiphany challenge. And maybe it's a 150th year as Norwalk Christian Church challenge. The good news is we're no longer the church by the hardware store. We're now the church by the new pizza place. And if you notice on the weekend, there's people parking in our parking lot. So that's good news. Sometimes there's some straws and cups in the parking lot and cigarette butts. That's okay, too. But maybe more people see us. But that's not how people know that Norwalk Christian Church is here. The same dirt since 1872. And people say, well, where's your church again? People know because we start talking. That's the challenge. Two words. Start talking. 
Start talking about what God is doing in your life. Start talking about what's happening in your life and in your church. Start talking about the things you're excited about. Share your good news, your hope, your faith. Start talking. Not like those people we saw in Vegas yesterday, yelling at people, telling this guy, you're going to break open the pits of hell. He didn't even know the guy. The guy said, I'm going to heaven. He said, no, you're not. That's not sharing the light. Sharing the light is good news. Jesus shared good news that God through Christ is saving the world. God through Christ is shining light, revealing what needs to be seen, that God loves you and that God is saving the world. So however you share it, share it. Maybe it's on Facebook. Maybe it's inviting someone to come to church. Maybe it's just telling your story in the best way you know how. Tell the story about how you couldn't have made it without Christ and Christ's people. Talk about what God has done to you. Don't keep the mystery a mystery. Don't don't keep what happens in here in here. The Ephesus rule, not the Vegas rule. Tell the secret because the world needs to know. Your neighbors need to know. Your family needs to know. Your friends need to know that Christ has come and Christ is changing the world. Arise and shine for your light has come to share with the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.